We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Now, at this point, I would look across the studio and I'd say, well, there we are, we're playing his tune and here's Howard Parkin in the studio. But that's not happening tonight because I've always wanted to see what the observatory is like. So, Howard very kindly agreed that he would meet me up there and we would record an edition of the programme having a walk around the observatory where Howard would explain to me everything that is there. And that is what I bring you tonight on this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Howard Parkin and I are taking you to the observatory. And should you wonder where it is, I tell you everything is covered. We'll tell you exactly how to find it. Everything is covered. But right now, we've parked our cars. We've uh, Howard has unlocked a couple of doors and we're in there. And here we are in a really cosy little room, beautifully equipped with comfy chairs. And I'm looking at a couple of telescopes, a couple of screens, lots of technical equipment, overhead projector. Howard, this is not how I expected the observatory to be. I didn't think it would be so well resourced. To be fair, it's down to what you can afford, but we were so fortunate to get the funding. Um, and um, what we wanted to do was replicate where we met in Douglas uh, in a room that would be comfortable enough to have meetings in the middle of the winter. We know what the Manx weather's like, so what we've done, we've got full central heating, we've got a kitchen, uh, we've got all the business for doing meetings, and of course, added bonus of course, is we've got the telescope upstairs, which we can use for observing when there's something to see, or just on a clear night when lots of people want to just look for the telescope at the, the features of the night sky. And we will explore that in just a moment. So does the Society meet regularly here? We meet on the first Thursday of every month. That's meeting for members, but guests can come along, they have to be £5 uh, to visit. And then we do also have a social night once every four, every month as well. And we are arranging visits for groups and um, adult groups, children's groups or whatever. Of course, COVID messed us all around an awful lot. Uh, and we're about to start doing our open evenings again, our open evenings at the observatory when we can actually invite people to come to the observatory, pay a small price for a ticket, maybe £12, something like that. They get a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a talk by myself or one of the other members. And if it's clear, we'll look for the telescope. But you know, it's not just about looking for the telescope this site. This site is a great place for naked eye observing. So what we would normally do, if we've got 40 people, say, which is company we take 40 people, we can take about 80, I think our fire certificate is for. But say we've got 40 people, 20 will go upstairs and look for the telescope at different features because you've got to queue up to wait. You're all looking at the planet Jupiter. You've got to wait your turn at the eyepiece. The other 20, 20 will go outside. And again, myself or someone else will point out the features in the night sky. Then we swap over, have a cup of tea and do it all again. And I would imagine then that, that the Astronomical Society is made up of people like yourselves who all know yeah. their way about the sky. All walks of life. Now, this room looks to me like there's a, there's a divider across it there with another room behind it. So why is the, the back part of this okay. meeting room closed off? It's a very good question. What happened, the original telescope was built by Henry Soper on this site. And you see that big concrete pillar there, the white bricks? Yeah. His, he dug right down to the bedrock to anchor the telescope because the slightest movement on a telescope disturbs your viewing of it. So he made sure the telescope was really rigidly rooted to the rocks of the Isle of Man, if you like. So when we decided to build the observatory, we wanted to have more room because we wanted to be able to have a club room like you've just described. So what we've done, we've extended that concrete pillar up so it actually meets the telescope at the top of the stairs, which we'll talk about in a moment. And what we needed to do was 
partition that off because we don't want any heat in that area. Because if you do, you know like you look at a radiator when it's on, if you can afford to turn your radiators on, and you see the heat shimmering up and disturbing the sky, it, it wobbles. Well, you do that with a telescope above you, you're going to destroy what you're trying to look at. So we don't use that room for anything other than meeting extension if we have lots and lots of people here or for storage. So this is the club room where we meet and it's comfortable and uh, centrally heated. That is basically the storeroom, but it's also used as an overflow room. That's why we've got the sliding doors. We've had barbecues up here, we've had star parties up here. I must tell you of one tale, true tale of this about this observatory, 2012. And it was the year that the space shuttle crew were invited over to the Isle of Man with Nicole Stott. And so they are actually honorary members. Chris and Nicole are honorary members of our society, which we're delighted about. So they came up to the observatory after doing Timworld a few days earlier. They came up to the observatory. And it happened to be Chris's birthday, so we gave him a birthday cake and we had a lovely night with the astronauts and their children and quite a lot of society members. So we sat here. It was a lovely, beautiful summer's evening. We put the telescope into operation. Even though it was daylight, you could still find the planet Saturn in it. So we put Saturn in the eyepiece of the telescope. And I just mentioned to them all, I was chairman at the time, I mentioned to all the guests, I said, if you're interested, we've got Saturn in the telescope at the moment, nearly killed in the rush. Astronauts who've been into space, who've seen everything you can see in the skies, they wanted to see Saturn for our telescope. And they were as blown away by the view of Saturn as I am still to this day. It was a lovely summer's evening. It was a most spectacular evening. There's photographs on the wall over here you can see of the astronauts with us. So here we are, Howard. We, we've come upstairs, red lights up the staircase so that it doesn't disturb our night vision. That's correct. And, and here we've got the most amazing sight, a, a telescope more complex and, and bigger than anything that I have ever seen. This is obviously a professional telescope. Almost certainly. This is a 16-inch Cassegrain reflector made by a company called Mead. It's the state of the art. It, we bought it about 20 years ago, admittedly now, but it's still the state of the art sort of telescope. It's by far the largest one, I think, on the island. I don't think anyone's got a, a private observatory, one of these in. And I often say to people, the best ever description you'll get of a telescope is it's a bucket. It's a light bucket. The bigger the bucket, the more light you can collect, the more you can magnify it and get the results. So that's what we've got here. It's a 16-inch telescope. It's fully computer-driven. And if you give me a moment, I'll switch it on and we'll let you hear what it does when it gets moving. Because it, it's got all kinds of eyepieces. And... It only has one eyepiece, but we can change the actual eyepiece to give us a different magnification. If you're looking at something like the moon, you use a low magnification because obviously... Uh, it's a much bigger object, but if you're searching for something like a galaxy, a distant galaxy or a star or something, uh, that we use a different eyepiece. So we have about 10 or 15 different eyepieces we can use on this, but they all look through one end of the telescope. We have up here a small finder scope, which I appreciate listeners can't see. There's a little tiny telescope on stop we can use to line things up. And then the main eyepiece at the bottom of the telescope is where the light comes in from one end of the telescope, goes to the bottom of the bucket, back up to the middle to another mirror and then back down again to the middle of the mirror where there's a hole and that's where the eyepiece is located. Now, I'm noticing you've got in your hand a very sophisticated remote control that yeah. controls the telescope, but around this circular building, that this circular room that we're in, are very conventional written signs that says east 90 Absolutely. degrees um, and you've got what southwest 225 degrees. So you, whilst you've got sophisticated technology, you're using 
ordinary handwritten oh, yes. readings to orientate yourself. Yes, yeah, so instead of switching the telescope on, say tonight we wanted to look at the planet Jupiter. We know exactly where Jupiter is. It's very bright, very easy to spot. Wouldn't need to switch the computer on. We could just literally look at the southern horizon and find where Jupiter is. And that's how we would do it. But the computer, well, the beauty of the computer, if you imagine a telescope, this is a bit technical, but excuse me for doing this, but... If you imagine when we look at the sky, you see the moon and the stars slowly turn as the Earth spins on its axis. You're looking through a telescope. That speed is dramatically magnified because, of course, you're looking at a much smaller field of view. So what would happen if you've got the object in the lens of the telescope and you're looking at it, it will very quickly go from one side of the eyepiece to the other. So you've got to do something to track with it. So what the telescope does, it's linked to the Earth's rotation by a timer, by computers and everything else, and it will move at the same speed that the Earth is rotating. So you keep the object in the viewpiece of the eyepiece uh, for as long as you want. And that's what the main purpose of this control is. The other thing, of course, is you can use it. It's, what, it's a very imaginatively called go-to facility. And that means you can ask the telescope to go to Jupiter or Saturn or Sirius or Aldebaran or whichever star or object you want to look at. And that's how it works. When you explain it, Howard, it's all so, so completely obvious because, of course, <laughs> if you just f- focused on something, it would be gone. You wouldn't have any opportunity no to, to, to look at it, to study or it. To see it, of course. Yeah, indeed, or, or, to, or to see how it compares with something else in, in the sky. So, of course, you'd have to... So, gone. then, power it up for well, us. What we'll do now, we'll just press the button and we'll ask it to go to... And we'll ask it to go to... Let's ask it to go to... We'll stay the SAR Sirius. So it's searching at the moment. There we go. And it's off. Searching for the star Sirius. So what it's done now, it's gone round in what we call azimuth. It's gone round the horizon and now it's pointing up in altitude. It's an alt azimuth mounting, altitude and azimuth. So it's gone round and now it's going up. There is something absolutely fantastic about standing here next to this telescope and it's searching for things that we just talk about in the studio so often. Yeah. This is from my point of view. Of You've course. seen this all the time. But, but suddenly the whole thing becomes real. So it's all very well for the telescope to re- rotate around and get itself into the right place. But the, this is a domed building that absolutely. we are in. So what happens next? Well, basically what we can do now is, depending where the object is we're looking for, if you just let me adjust the telescope ever so slightly for us to make it a little bit easier to show you. And what we do, Judith, is this is the eyepiece of the telescope. So if it was pitch black at night now, I would put the eyepiece in here. I'm just unscrewing the lens cap, because of course you have lens caps to protect your, uh, your optics. We unscrew that. And we look through that area there, and that's where we'll see whatever it is we're looking for. And the reason that we can focus this is because the domed roof actually has to open so Absolutely. that we can, we can then see the sky. It's, it's a dome over the whole of this upper floor that we are in, but it's just one section that actually opens, right. isn't it? You could have the telescope outside, of course, but then it's open to the elements and everything else. And whilst we're not worried about the rain when we're observing, because obviously the sky's got to be clear, what we do, we just open the dome a little bit, which I'll do in a moment for you, and when we do that, we look through this slit in the dome, 
which actually was manufactured. When this building was built, it was made to be a metre wide. So we've got an 18-inch telescope. We could put a metre diameter mirror in this observatory, and that's what the slit in the dome is made for. But what we've got to do is, you're quite right, we've got to now open the slit of the dome um, and open it so we can now look at the telescope and look at whatever object we want to look at, which in this case is Sirius, which is low on the southeastern horizon. And if I look around the room, I can see that, that just behind where you're standing is the southeastern that's where the telescope horizon. So pl- the, all this sophisticated technology, plus the signs on the wall. Absolutely. So what we need to do now is there's two things we need to do. We need to move the dome round to the, so the slit is open for us. This is done by a series of ropes and chains. To be fair, the actual rotation of the dome is done by hand. Yeah. Because the time it takes to transit across the the slit of the telescope is long enough that it doesn't matter for us. But to actually mechanise this, to make it electronic, which you can do, you imagine you've got a dome going round and round and round, eventually it's going to stop going round and have to go round the other way. So we've just made it very manual, and all you've got to do is push. Believe it or not, even in this uh, environment here, in the Isle of Man, we do get the occasional bit of a breeze, don't we? So what we do is we chain it down, uh, or tie it down, so it won't move in the wind, because it has moved in the wind on occasions. So basically, it's on rollers. If you look under here, you can see a greasy half-dome thing. That is greased, and it smooths very smoothly. I'm moving it now, and you can't even hear me moving it, because it makes no noise. And we've turned it round now, so we're facing the direction of southeast, where Sirius is. The telescope is looking straight at it, and away we go. The thing that impresses me here, Howard, is that you've got, obviously, um, a resource that is much loved, that you've worked out all the procedures, and... And everything is perfect. There is nothing out of place. There is, there's no mess or untidiness everywhere. It, it is obviously done by people who really, really care about what they're doing. They understand yeah. what they're doing. It belongs to the Isle of Man Astronomical Society, which I'm the vice chairman of at the moment. Uh, we were established in 1989. And it's a wonderful human interest story because we used to meet... Originally, we met at the Craignabar Hotel... And then they decided to refurbish it, so we had to leave. We then went to the Quarter Bridge, and the room flooded. We had to leave. We then went to the Falcon Cliff Hotel, and they changed it to offices. We had to leave. We then moved to the Auto Club in Hill Street. And this was about 1997. And we were having a meeting one night, and we were talking about... We had had the offer to buy the fields that the observatory sits on, where an old observatory used to sit, belonging to one of our members. A chap called uh, Henry Soper, who was a very prominent amateur astronomer, very well-renowned in the world of astronomy. He built an observatory on here some many, many years previously, and unfortunately it, it, it gave way to the elements. It, it, it blew away and got damaged. So he sold us the fields at a very reasonable price, and we had the fields, nothing else, and we were talking about it would be great to put a proper telescope and an observatory on this location. A gentleman by the name of Colin Hill, who I hope he doesn't mind me naming him, he now lives in New Zealand, said, I'll build you an observatory. And we all fell off our chairs, as you can imagine. And Colin was true to his word. Colin, who had made his millions in carbon fibre technology, actually put his hand in his pocket and built us this building. He didn't give it to us. He's a very astute businessman. He realised that... He wanted to make sure he was getting an investment uh, that would be used by the people of society and beyond. Uh, so it was given to us over a period of 10 years. It's been erected here on this site since about the year 2000. 
and here it is. And we've just had to, had to spend quite a bit of money refurbishing it because we had a problem with one of the, the slit I mentioned a moment ago, one of the rollers corroded and actually fell off. And uh, so we had to do some major surgery on it. And that was done over the last three months or so. As you can see around, we've fully carpeted now. We've got red lights on the floor and everything else so you don't affect your night side, as you mentioned earlier. And here we are, and it's now being refurbished, and we hope to be able to use it for many more years to come for the benefit of astronomers and the society in general. Well, I'm sure that you will, Howard. But the thing is that it's it's not... Um, obviously, it's eye-catching because you see the dome as you're approaching from quite a distance away. And you think, you know, this is something a little bit different on the Manx landscape. But it's been very cleverly designed because yes. it has to be said, this is quite an exposed spot. It has very, to be. Very, very exposed it, here. To make it good for observation. It's, it's, it's remote, it's quite exposed. And the fact that it has stood for, what, 22 years? Two years now, yeah. And it's the, the work that you've had done, it's not bad that, that, that no. it's lasted for this long before you had to we have that work We were very pleased. Done. I mean, it was a bit of a disaster when this happened that we realised that we would have to invest time and labour and credit to all the people who helped refurbish it there was a the uh, Laxey Mines research team Pete Geddes and his colleagues they helped us enormously as did the scaffolding firm and everybody else we got lots of great help uh, it did take us about three months but now it's done and as I say we're seeing the benefit of it now and it's great to welcome you here well this is the programme we've always dreamed of making we isn't have it? for years we kept we've wanted said, to do we, this we must make a programme at the observatory and I have to say it's, it, it isn't a bit not a bit of how <laughs> I imagined it I to be honest with you, it's much more luxurious than yes. I thought it would be. I thought, to be really to be truthful, we'd be in a, a kind of a, um, uh, almost a barn type building right. with a with with some some way of the roof opening and and just you know that's that's it. But even on a poor night, I mean, poor weather wise, you could have a good night up here, oh, couldn't you? There we would do. be we, we, there would be something that you could see, wouldn't there? If it's cloudy, obviously we can't, but yeah, we do sure. have social meetings here. We have had um, hot pot suppers here. We've had visiting groups here. Um, the weather is not the best in the Isle of Man, but I must just tell you a lovely little story because the weather does play a major part of our endeavours. And I've mentioned before about how we now chain the dome in position so it won't blow the wind. But some years ago, Dave Storey, who used to be our chairman, um, was up here. He does a lot of observing. He spends hours up here doing observing. He came up here one night intending to do some observing, and the dome had frozen the dome had frozen in the ice and the snow and he couldn't get the dome to move. So he came up to do some stargazing and couldn't do it. And, and another time we had a heavy snowfall and um, not very often we get heavy snow in the Isle of Man, but the snow was about five, four feet, five feet thick around here. We couldn't even get towards the dome. But that's rare and we do get some really good nights and it's worth every minute when we get up here. Just standing looking at the telescope from this angle, what diameter it's is it? It's 18 inches. Then? The mirror at the bottom is 18 inches, so the, the actual tube is 18 inches. And for the benefit of listeners, we're looking at a, a tube that's about a metre and a half long. Um, but that means that the focal length of this telescope is about four and a half metres, because as I mentioned before, the light comes in one end, hits a mirror at the bottom, bounces back up to the top, so it's a second one and a half metre, and then back down again. So it's three times the focal length of the size of the mirror. That's very roughly how it works. And it makes it easier to get your eyes to the eyepiece because if you imagine you've got a telescope that's looking at something on the horizon, you're going to have to be standing on a big ladder to look through the eyepiece. So this gives us the added advantage. It's what we call folded optics. And this is the classic type of telescope that most astronomy societies or interested amateurs would have in their observatories, be it a dome like we've got here or the other famous type of observatories, what we call a runoff shed. 
And basically, it's a shed with a roof on rails that you just slide on and off. It's got rails, and you just slide the roof off. That is a typical amateur observatory. But, of course, a dome is much, much better because you've got 360-degree view. And it, from this location where we are, there's nothing to obscure our horizons. And I suppose there's a very strict ritual about putting everything to bed oh, here. Oh, yes. The first of which is we make sure we close the dome. So we'll just give me a moment, and we'll do that. Right. It's a bit noisy, I'm afraid, Judith, but... Uh, Go on, then. Just one second. Here we are as Howard takes the controls, the controls being two huge chains. And down comes the observing aperture. In other words, the, the gap in the dome that enables us to see the heavens. This observatory here, Judith, was actually described as one of the best observatories in the British Isles for amateurs. Because what happened in 2003, the British Astronomical Association, they, they held their out-of-London meeting here. Uh, we invited them to come over. We'd opened the observatory in 2000. We put the telescope in in 2001. And it was decided we would invite them to come to the Isle of Man. And they did. They came about 60 or 70 of them came over. We had lectures at the Manx Museum. We had a moon rock display at the House of Mananin through Manx National Heritage. And they all came up here. And they absolutely fell in love with the place. They said how impressive it was as a comfortable observatory, a sizable building on a very good location. And uh, the actual definition was one of the best amateur observatories in the British Isles. This is great. And uh, thanks to, let's be honest, let's be thanks to our benefactor who helped build it for us, but also to um, Henry Soper, who built an observatory here all those years ago. And, you know, just to finish that little bit off, Henry Soper was a very prominent amateur astronomer with the British Astronomical Association. And he came to our very first meeting in 1989. And um, he obviously didn't know what we were like. He thought, I tell you, he didn't come to the first meeting, he came to the second meeting. He'd heard how we'd set this society up at the Craig Nabar, and he came along to see what it was like. And he became a member because he was so impressed with us. He died, he died sadly uh, some years ago now, but a wonderful bloke. And thanks to him, we're here today and can share the beauty of astronomy with the people of the Isle of Man. When you get to the start of the unmarked lane that leads to the observatory, it says quite clearly, observatory. But how would you describe it if somebody wanted to know how to get there? What's the, what's the easiest way? I mean, I would say it's, it's off the Foxdale Road. Yeah. But, but is that, you, you can be a bit more specific. Coming from, coming from Douglas, the best, place, best way to get here is to come along towards the, the Erie Dam. And when you get to the Erie Dam, there's a hairpin you go around and it says, beware of the ducks. Don't go down the hairpin, go straight on. It's called the Lubes Road. And you come along the Lubes Road for about three quarters of a mile and the observatory is on a turn off on your right. Or coming the other way, you come up from the Hope at St John's, but then don't head along towards Arch Alligan. Actually, there's a right-hand turn for Foxdale, which you've got to take, and then the observatory lane is on the left. We've talked about absolutely everything except how to get in touch with you if you want to arrange to come and see it. How's that best done? Well, the best way to do that is to get in touch with the Alaman Astronomical Society. It's on the web pages, alamanastronomy.org is our website. Uh, have a look on there. It gives you all the details about arranging visits. We will, and we are prepared to have visits up here. It does take a while to get through the list because so many people want to come up here which is why we're doing these open nights and as I say there will be a couple of them um, in the early part of 2023 uh, but in the meantime if you have a group of people there is a fee involved because obviously we have to run this um, the, the fuel to run the lights and everything else and um, there is a small fee uh, but we can take up to about 40 30 to 40 people at any one time and we'd love to hear from you and hope we could share interest in astronomy with you as well. And of course, the other option is to come along to one of our monthly meetings on the first Thursday of every month. <laughs>